Snap Studios. When I was four years old, my parents, they took me to the Detroit Zoo. And there we walked by a chimp kept in a cage looking out at us, looking out at me from his prison. And something inside, I saw him and me, I saw me and him, and I screamed. I wept. I begged for them to let him out, let him out. My parents eventually, they had to take me home. And later, I read everything I could about the great apes, watched everything I could about them on the TV. Imagine myself with the apes and Jane Goodall. In fact, just consider the chimpanzee. They share 98% of our DNA. They'd laugh when you tickle them. They can see and recognize themselves in mirrors. They live in groups, and they communicate using vocalizations and body language. When you look at a chimpanzee, you're seeing a highly intelligent creature, a creature capable of joy and anger and sadness. They experience depression. They grieve. To quote Jane Goodall, they're is no sharp line between humans and the rest of the animal kingdom. It's a blurry line. And that's why I have to let you know that this episode, like most stories concerning the intersection of our two respective species, this episode contains violence. And sensitive people should be advised because today, on Snap Judgment, we proudly present Zoo Nebraska. The story of a chimpanzee and of a man, a man whose dream to study apes had a profound impact on one small American town from the Great Plains. Author Carson Vaughn brings us this story. Snap Judgment. September 10th, 2005. Northeastern Nebraska, Antelope County. A place with endless rolling cornfields and very little crime. Like I tell people, the biggest decision of my day is where I want to go eat. Where am I going to meet somebody for lunch? For Nebraska State Trooper Brian Detlefson, that day started off like any other. Come around lunchtime, I decided to meet up with the Antelope County Sheriff. Our office was across the street from a little cafe called Daddy's. And my favorite meal there was egg and hash browns and a little toast on the side. So I was all excited to get that. The sheriff and I were sitting there eating, and he's a big, round guy. And back then we had pagers. His pager went off, and he kind of wiggles it off from his gun belt there. He reads it, looks up at me, looks back down there, and goes, Animals loose at the Royal Zoo need 1049. 1049 is traffic control. The town of Royal was about 20 minutes from where they were sitting. Brian hadn't thought about the zoo there in years. There's like a petting zoo with a couple animals and stuff, and I just feared the goats got out on the highway or something small like that. And I heard the cafe phone ring, and the waitress come over and say, you're wanted on the phone, and it's the Antelope County dispatcher on the phone, and she goes... They need guns. They need you up there now. Things are out of control. 
Brian pulled off the highway near the zoo's front gate. I just got here. When I rolled in, I could see that there was two chimpanzees walking outside the fence. I wasn't expecting to see chimpanzees. As I'm watching these two chimpanzees walk around like nothing's going on outside the fence, here comes the guy on the golf cart. I see this guy on a, on a golf cart coming from my right out of the tree line, and he has a 357 Magnum handgun. He's just shooting like crazy all over the place, shooting over his left shoulder, shooting behind him. As Brian watched the shooter fly past the two galloping chimps on a golf cart, his phone rang. Hello? And it was my wife at home. Hello. She told me that the Hello. wash machine was not working at the time. Okay, shut off. Like, I got a situation here. I got to go. Bye. The wind's blowing like crazy, and I hear that scream. It's a completely horrific scream, like they're hurt or angry altogether. As a human being, you can't make that sound. It just made you curl inside. Before the chimps escaped, the zoo had been a key tourist attraction in northeast Nebraska. Busloads of children flocked there every week. I don't like zoos. I hate zoos. My personal opinion, I think all zoos should close, yeah. and I think that animals should be in the wild. Yeah. Dick Haskin founded the zoo in Royal in the late 80s. I can look into their eyes, I see their soul, and they're all individuals. They need to be re- respected no matter what they are. They shouldn't be abused. They shouldn't be in cages. My grandpa was born in this house. Oh, cool. And great-grandma lived there. I first heard about the zoo over a decade ago, and I quickly started researching the story. But it took me seven years to get Dick to go on record. Probably should put another log on. (laughs) He hasn't told his story to anyone. I'm just a normal person. I didn't do anything extraordinary. I didn't do anything special. I made a bad career choice and made bad decisions that created a monster that destroyed me. A monster. That's what Dick calls the zoo. What legacy do you hope it leaves behind? I just want to forget it. I just want it forgotten. I don't want it. it there's nothing that it could leave behind. Well, I mean, I know that I know that you want it forgotten, but like like I said, it was there for almost 20 years. People yeah. are going to remember it. How do you yeah. hope it's remembered? I don't care. I wish people would forget it. Yeah. You know, let it die. Right. Just right. forget about it and let it die. From the highway, you might mistake Royal for a cluster of old sheds and broken farm equipment. There's a water tower, a crumbling brick schoolhouse, 12 gravel streets stitched into what author Willa Cather once called the loose hide of the Great Plains. Dick grew up here. Still today, he lives just a few miles north of town. His journey to the zoo started in that brick schoolhouse, when he saw a film in eighth grade about Jane Goodall and the wild chimpanzees of East Africa. She's been told how a frightened chimp once ripped away a man's cheek. She's also been warned, you'll never get near them. I just became so fascinated with apes. 
And I thought, boy, there's so much we can learn about, so much they can teach us about ourselves. My five years observing the chimps have been the most satisfactory of my life. I've done what I wanted to do from early childhood, but the work has not yet ended. Dick was a loner, a ginger-haired boy more comfortable with animals than people. Now he knew exactly where he wanted to go and who he wanted to become. Boy, that's what I want to do. I want to go over to Africa. I want to study apes in the wild. After he graduated college, Dick sent letters to primate research facilities all over the world. But they all told him the same thing. He needed experience working with primates to work with primates. How do I get the experience? Right. I can't get the job. It'll never happen, they said. And so The only viable alternative was a zoo. But Dick had only been to the zoo once when he was a kid with his parents. That's where I saw my first chimpanzee in real life. And I felt so sorry for him. He was just in such a little cage. Despite his pride, he made a trip to Lincoln to visit the Lincoln Children's Zoo. I said, well, they got primates there. Maybe I can work with their primates. He told the director he wanted to work with their two chimpanzees. <laughs> You're not going to work with those chimpanzees, he said. They'll kill you. Adult chimps are incredibly strong and often aggressive. They're extremely dangerous. People that work with chimpanzees, usually, if they've worked with chimpanzees for more than 18 months, mm -hmm. they're missing body parts. But Dick impressed everyone at the children's zoo with his knowledge of primate behavior. And one day, his boss, Al, asked him to shadow the zoo's chimp handler, Monica. He said, she's just not getting along with those chimps. And so I, I went and watched her a couple days. I went back to Al and I said, everything she's doing is causing problems because of the way she's moving. Um, she's scared of them. They know she's scared of them. The way you move, the way you stand, uh -huh. uh, their communication system is, is gestures and postures mostly. I said, you've got to get her out of there. A week later, Dick was at work when his boss approached him again. And Alan comes over, he says, you're going in with the chimps today. I go, huh? He goes, yeah, Monica was attacked and mauled last night. Oh, She's in the hospital. And so, yeah, I went in with, with the chimp that had mauled her that afternoon. Dick climbed into the enclosure and faced real, live chimps for the first time. Animals he'd read about, dreamed about, seemed projected on the walls of his 8th grade classroom. That first month, he hired a friend to film him at work with the chimps. At night, he analyzed the footage, like an athlete studying his game. And I'd watched their, their behaviors, my response to their behaviors, so I could monitor my posture, my gestures, my facial expressions, so that I'm not triggering an attack. He was still attacked. One of the chimps nearly ripped off his scalp, but slowly he gained their trust. I felt sorry for them. I worked with them so that they'd be more comfortable in the environment that I could provide for them. That was, that was honorable. Do you remember the very first time like you laid eyes on Reuben? Yeah. Reuben was a 16-month-old baby chimpanzee. He's got his burlap bag, and he's got a little teddy bear or something he's curled up with, and he's sleeping. Reuben carried that burlap sack with him wherever he went, like a toddler with his blankie. His parents had been captured in Africa. 
I felt bad that he'd been pulled away from his mom. It was a practice done in zoos at that time period. So I felt sorry for him. I liked his personality. I mean, he was, he was mischievous, wasn't overly aggressive, he was uh, calm as chimps go. I mean, chimps are never calm, but as chimps go, sure. he, was, he was very calm. He was a special, a special chimp. I mean, when you're changing their diapers, uh, you can't help feel paternal yeah. <laughs> towards them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was very early on, and the bond had formed quickly. And it was a strong bond that was between us. He viewed me as a parent, uh, and I was his primary caretaker. And um, yeah, he was he was like a kid to me. Dick brought him canvases and art supplies. Reuben loved to make paintings. He also liked cartoons. And when Dick taught the chimp sign language, he took to it the fastest. When he was losing his baby teeth, he'd show me which tooth was was loose. If he was sick, he could tell me he was sick. If he was thirsty, he'd let us know he was thirsty. And then he could insult. There was one time he was angry with me. I'd set him in the corner for a timeout, sit there. He turned around and he went like that, which is nut. He called me a nut. Dick's sign language work with Reuben landed him on the front page of the Lincoln Journal. He became the zoo's most trusted primate expert. In 1985, when an international primatology conference was announced in San Diego, Dick packed his bags. It's like being in primatologist heaven to be able to talk to any of these people. There was Francine Patterson, who taught sign language to Coco the gorilla, and Diane Fossey, who lived among the wild mountain gorillas of Rwanda. Fossey was one of Dick's heroes. How did you manage to gain their confidence? I was just lucky. Now, I had to crawl around for two years. I I really, really wanted to work with Fossey. I I really wanted to work with her, and I knew what she was doing. And imitated, came to imitate their peaceful vocalization, their contentment vocalizations, like this, which elicited their curiosity. Dick didn't expect to meet her. But when he arrived, there she was working her way through a crowd of animal rights protesters outside the conference center. She was huge. She was six foot three, wow. I think, six foot three or six foot four. She was big, biggest woman I've ever seen. <laughs> Intimidating, to say the least. They struck up a conversation, and later, Fosse invited Dick to dinner. She told him about her risky efforts in Rwanda to protect mountain gorillas from poachers who'd sell their skulls and hands as trophies. She uh, would torture the poachers when she caught them. Uh, she had been known to hang them by their feet. Uh, she'd been known to pistol whip them. Fosse must have seen something in Dick, because at the end of the conference, she offered him an internship at her camp in Rwanda. It's like, I have finally made it. I have reached my goal, and it was a dream coming true. Dick went back to Nebraska and waited until the day he left to sleep in a small hut in Virunga National Park, watching apes move freely through the jungle. No keepers or curators or specialists to corral them and keep them locked in, alongside one of the most respected primatologists in the world. And then... The phone rings. And I forget who it was. It was somebody from the Gorilla Foundation. December, 1985. And they, they said Diane had been killed. Sorry. That was a terrible day. 
It was revealed today that American zoologist Diane Fossey has been found murdered in her home in the tiny African country of Rwanda, where she has spent... Diane Fossey's murder is still a mystery. But for Dick, it meant his lifeline to Africa had vanished. Until I got over to Africa, it had to be somewhere. If Dick couldn't observe great apes in their natural habitat, he'd bring them to Nebraska by building a state-of-the-art research facility in a place where land was cheap and plentiful. Did you ever think about returning to Royal after you left? A place like Royal. Was that ever in the works for you? No, you no, thought? It really wasn't. Dick quit his job at the Children's Zoo and applied for custody of Reuben, the baby chimp. With Reuben having that attachment to me and him still being, what was he, two? Yeah. They knew he needed to stay with me, that that was going to be harmful to him to be anywhere I wasn't. Mm -hmm. The two of them hit the road. How did you transport Reuben back to Royal? In the back of a pickup with a topper on it. Okay. Uh, and I was back there with him. And he rode okay back there as long yeah. as you were with him? Yep, as long as I was with him, he was fine. What are you thinking about? You're on the highway, you got your chip in the back of the pickup, you're about to start a brand new chapter in your life. Like, what was I that think like? I started getting the feeling then maybe I was crazy. Dick had just quit his job, and he had a 40-pound chimpanzee locked in the back of his pickup who he was now responsible for and banking all his hopes on. My family tried to talk me out of it. It'll never work. Uh, it's stupid. Um, so Reuben that, would yeah. be the cornerstone of a research facility with 10 primates. Dick would continue to teach the chimp sign language as he raised money for a proper facility. But until then, Reuben needed a home, so Dick improvised. For the first few weeks, Reuben spent his waking hours in a corn crib, a circular steel cage with a pointed roof built to hold corn. Later, a trailer home was donated. Were you ever concerned at that point in time of like the optics of keeping a chimp in a corn crib or a trailer? Yeah, yeah, because I didn't like seeing them in cages anyway. Right. And it's like I just Travelers on Highway 20 could up. sometimes spot Reuben hanging from the corn crib, itching his diaper while Dick stood below him with a treat in hand. He loved apples. That was his favorite food, was an apple. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, you could give him bananas or grapes or anything like that, the chimp shoot, but no, he loved the apples. And he could tell it. I could ask him, what's your favorite food? He, it's an apple. apple. He, he knew that was an apple. He liked Pepsi, um, which he didn't get very often. Yeah, just every so often, I would give him a little bit of Pepsi. You just, just like put it in, treat, a, in a bowl? Or like how do just you... a little cup. Yeah. In just a little bit, he loved Pepsi, and I tried to get Dick Pepsi had to be careful about drinking Pepsi in front of Reuben. Once, he went after Dick's cousin, Arvin. It's like, what in the world? So I had to stop the attack. It's like, why in the world is... And then Arvin was holding Pepsi? a Pepsi can. <laughs> and so Reuben saw that and was going to uh -huh. get that Pepsi from Arvin. You've met Arvin. Arvin's yeah. a big guy. He is. And it's like, this chimp didn't care how big that guy was. That guy's <laughs> going down. I'm getting that Pepsi. Reuben also liked peppermint leaves, having his tongue tickled, and he was constantly trying to get Dick to play his favorite game. Chimpanzee chase, we called it. It's like he wanted me to chase him. And he could tell me if he wanted tickled. He, he could tell me if he wanted tickled. And he'd laugh. Tug of war he loved, but not a good thing to do with a chimp. What is like laughing in a chimp sound like? <laughs> okay. yeah. Like if he's smiling, or is she like showing gums? What is that? like? No, the, the top lip is pulled down over the teeth like that. Okay. That's a smile. You see chimps on television where they got this great big grin yeah. and you know, you think they're smiling. That's a fear grimace. 
when they're doing that, that's fear. The only thing that seemed to scare Reuben were the sounds he heard rippling across the plains. Every now and then, the east pasture, there'd be gunshots or like that. That frightened him. Did the train set him off sometimes? He loved the train. The children and the families there in Royal just absolutely loved it. I'd go anywhere, and it didn't matter. People would recognize me, and kids especially. There's the monkey man, right. or there's Reuben's daddy, right. or something like that. He opened the Primate Center every day, charging guests to walk through a donated trailer home with the title, The Midwest Primate Center, hand-painted in capital letters across the front. We had people stopping in. I was like, wow. So I had a little money I could, you know, buy Reuben food. But Dick needed much more money to build out the research center. So he added a nature trail to attract more visitors. And some goats. And foxes. A pair of lemurs from a drive through safari in Arkansas. It still wasn't enough. And I was hoping for larger donors. That never really happened. Yeah. Um, it was a struggle. Dick was terrible at raising money. And Reuben had grown into a seven-year-old wunderkind. 100 pounds of muscle and fur. That winter, 1989, he wasn't going to be in that trailer house. Mm -hmm. He was going to break through it. Something's got to be done, and it's got to be done now. I'm not getting away. Desperate, Dick decided to leave the fate of his facility, of Reuben, up to the people of northeast Nebraska. He advertised a public meeting, and a board of directors was elected on the spot, composed mostly of Dick's neighbors and friends. And uh, the first thing they did at their very first meeting was change the name from the Midwest Primate Center to the Northeast Nebraska Zoo. The name would later change again to the sleeker Zoo Nebraska. By unanimous vote, Dick was made executive director, putting him, a man who hated zoos, in charge of the only zoo within 100 miles. See, the facility had taken on its own life. Yeah. When you're writing a story, sometimes it just yeah. it goes the direction it wants to go no matter what you want to do. It is not over. When we return, Zoo Nebraska is about to receive a gift from a very special Nebraska native. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. When last we left... A man who hated zoos was just elected executive director of Zoo Nebraska. Snap judgment. But the money didn't just start rolling in. Dick still lived with his parents. He couldn't even afford to pay himself a salary. My savings account had been wiped out. My checking account had been wiped out. He drew up plans for a new enclosure for Reuben. 1,100 square feet of steel-reinforced concrete with sliding steel shift doors and heavy-gauge wire mesh. But the zoo couldn't possibly afford it, 
In July 1990, Dick spent two full days in Ruben's cage in a desperate stunt to broadcast his plight. Everything was futile. And uh, early in June, letters were writing. sent to the biggest names of the day. Uh, Donald Trump, Ted Turner, Michael Jackson, and Johnny Carson was one of them. That she Johnny wrote. Carson wrote back. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Johnny. Johnny Carson calls and he said, I will give you $55,000 to build a building for Ruben, for the children of Royal. Johnny Carson grew up in Nebraska. And until I was five years old, the only toy I had was a tumbleweed. <laughs> but he would never visit the zoo. And he would never meet Dick, the only person in town even remotely qualified to care for exotic animals. Before the donation, Dick had seriously considered throwing in the towel. I can't leave. If I leave, I'm letting down Johnny Carson. I'm letting down the people of Royal. I'm letting down those children. I can't leave. And so there I was. Dick stayed with Reuben during his first night in the new Johnny Carson building, sleeping on the concrete floor. We started getting more people coming through. We started getting more memberships. Soon, he'd add more animals. So we had Reuben, we had the snow monkeys. Bringing the slapdash menagerie to a dozen. We had emus. Then 25. Mountain lions. And then 60. The wolves, bobcats. Attendance jumped from 4,000 people a year to 25,000. Dick had removed Reuben from one zoo only to build another one around him. Around them both. He felt trapped and he began to regret ever bringing Reuben to Royal. It seemed like every year that went by, I saw the zoo grow, and every time the zoo grew, my hours increased, right. and the stress increased. Dick woke up at 3.30 every morning and rarely went to bed before midnight. I would just get a little bit of sleep. I was eating a can of Campbell's soup a day. Uh-huh. Dick looked gaunt. He wandered the zoo grounds on autopilot feeding the animals, cleaning poop, leading tours of elementary school kids. Eleven years passed in a haze. There was no soul in that body anymore. Mm -hmm. I was just going through the movements. And then his worst fear came to pass. One day, he was doing the rounds. And I forgot to lock a cage. I went and got mail, went back, and I always, when I'd get back, I'd check the animals, make sure, you know, everything was fine. He walked into the Johnny Carson building. And it's a shambles, water's turned on, bleach is spilled everywhere, Reuben's door is open and no Reuben. And I walked around the Carson building, no sign of Reuben. The town's brick schoolhouse was still open at the time. Dick told one of the zoo volunteers, You'd be ready to call that school and tell them to keep the kids in for recess. I'm going to go back and see if I can find Reuben, and then I'll let you know. And went back, Reuben's in his cage, playing with some equipment that he shouldn't have played with, uh, got the equipment away from him, closed the door. But uh, an animal in the zoo, when they find themselves out of their enclosure, they generally try to find their way back in, Mm -hmm. because that's their home, that's their territory, that's where they feel safe, that's where they feel secure. Dick realized he had to get out. The situation was no longer safe for him or Reuben. So you were ready to say goodbye to Reuben for good? Yeah. Yeah, I was. He had to walk away. From his dream, from the zoo, 
and from Ruben. Was that a hard decision that you had to come to in your mind? Like, at that time, my health is gone. Yeah. And my brain isn't thinking clearly. I was worried I was going to get somebody killed. I was worried I was going to leave cages unlocked. I was worried I was going to let an animal out or make another serious mistake that would cause somebody injury or their life. I wasn't thinking clearly. My memory was gone. I needed out. Okay. I just needed out. Ruben was 18. And Dick felt like the chimp didn't need him anymore. Ruben doesn't have that bond with me that he so had. So you felt Ruben was old enough at that point that he that didn't I need could, you specifically as I a could, caretaker. I could step away. Dick found replacement directors, a married couple who had previously run another Nebraska zoo. He'd worked with them before. I needed a bobcat, so we got a bobcat from them. They needed a snow monkey. The new directors added three male chimpanzees to the zoo. There was Jimmy Joe, once the pet of an eccentric older woman who drove him around in her convertible, and two retired Hollywood chimps, brothers named Tyler and Ripley. Ripley had been on Seinfeld. I stopped to look at the monkeys when all of a sudden I am hit in the face with a banana peel. They made good companions for Reuben, who had spent most of his life in the company of one man. After Dick left, he didn't come back. And I purposely was staying away for Reuben's sake, because if he'd even seen me at a distance, he'd have gone berserk. Right. So I, I didn't even dare even get close to the facility. But the new zookeepers didn't last long. When they began exploring plans to move the zoo and its animals to a larger town, they were fired by the zoo's board, and eventually replaced by Ken Jr. Schluter a tall, stern man whose most recent job was managing an auto parts store across the highway. I tried to interview Junior. He declined multiple times. So you never had any conversations with Ken while he was director? Maybe once or twice. Dick, watching from afar, grew increasingly worried about Reuben. He begged Junior to find him a new home. And at that point, you would have been asking him, like, to get rid of the chimps? Yeah, I was. my goal was to... to get them to ship those chimps out, but they wouldn't even meet with me. So he called one of the zoo's board members and told her Reuben and the other chimps were in danger. I said, we've got to get those chimps out of there. Those chimps need to go. You need somebody specifically trained in working with chimps to work with a chimp. They aren't something you can just put anybody to, to handling. They didn't know. They had no experience whatsoever. After this short break, Dick grows increasingly worried about Reuben and the other chimps' safety for very good reason. Stay tuned. From Snap Judgment's underground lair, welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Zoo Nebraska episode. My name is from Washington, and when last we left, Dick had just called one of the zoo's board members and told her Reuben and the other chimps were in danger. They were being handled by a man whose most recent job was managing an auto parts store. Snap judgment. I said, we've got to get those chimps out of there. Those chimps need to go. You need somebody specifically trained in working with chimps to work with a chimp. They aren't something you can just put anybody to, to handling. They didn't know. They had no experience whatsoever. And then... September 10th, 2005. 
I had to sit there and talk to myself, are these really chimpanzees and what am I going to do about it? One of the zoo's volunteers forgot to lock the back door of the Johnny Carson building. Reuben, Jimmy Joe, Tyler, and Ripley all walked out single file, calmly, like children waiting for the school bus. The chimps descended on the town, running through the gravel streets. One of them, possibly Reuben, chased a frightened teenager into his house. Another tried to enter a gas station. All over Royal, people barricaded themselves indoors. The zoo had a tranquilizer gun, but nobody knew how to use it. Junior, the zookeeper, picked up a revolver, jumped on a golf cart, and went after the chimps. That's when Brian, the state trooper, arrived on the scene. I got a situation here. I gotta go fight. He's coming in with the golf cart. He shoots one side, then he turns around and shoots the other side and hits the chimpanzee on the other side and just keeps on driving off with the golf cart. One of the chimps had been hit in the chest. Brian followed this one as it took three quick strides and launched over a 12-foot-high fence. Jumped over the fence with one arm, like us just hopping over a little garden fence. There was an old red van on the other side. He punched the window with his paw, or hand. He's outside! Jumps in there. The van! And he's just in there screaming like crazy, ripping the seats out, ripping everything, the carpet up on the floor. I mean, it's just going nuts. I don't like to see animals get hurt, and I thought maybe we could still save him. Even though it's just an animal, it still has feelings and everything. He doesn't know what's going on. He was scared, too. There's no sense, but we got to kill him. You, you can't talk to the chimpanzee to calm him down. That's why I tried to hold off as long as we could. We should have been using tranquilizers. A crowd started to form around the fence. Farmers, zoo volunteers, more cops, and finally, the local vet with a tranquilizer gun. And they're trying to find out what doses they can give them. Okay. He goes, I can't get a shot off unless I hit him in the rear. If we could get somebody to distract him up front so the chimpanzee would stare out the windshield, probably could shoot the chimpanzee in the, in the rear. So that's what the plan was. How we distract him out the front window so that he can get shot at his butt? Do it that way? The vet moves into position, standing on some cinder blocks, trying to get a shot through the van's broken back window. No, he's not coming out. Hold you guys He can't get a shot off. He was going to try one more time, and I'm standing off to the vet's right side, just a little past his shoulder. Brian braced for the worst. No, hang on. Hang on. coming out. What do we do? He would have came and grabbed at least one or many of us that were standing around there because that was that was the last line defense because I don't think we would have had time for all of us to get away. The vet just about ready to get a shot off when that chimpanzee jumps out the back window towards the vet. How would that big a body fit through that little window that quick? It still just amazes me. That chimpanzee flew through that window like nothing and he just glided through the air went to reach for that fence to swing himself over like a diver jumping with his arms out he was jumping he was jumping with his arms straight out to grab that fence and before he could do that i raised the rifle brian fired one shot i got him i got him i got him 
right. He's down. It was Jimmy Joe, the chimp who, in a past life, rode around in a convertible. Three of the four chimps were killed that day. Dad comes in the house, and he goes, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm sleeping. He says, you're not going to sleep after what you, what I'm going to tell you. Said, what? He goes, Reuben's dead. Said, what? He was shot. They escaped and he was shot. Said, what? And I just went flying in. Dick jumped in the car and floored it. When he got to the zoo, there were patrol cars in the parking lot and an ambulance. There was chimpanzee blood everywhere and on everybody. He pleaded with the Antelope County Sheriff to let him in. He goes, this is a crime scene. I go, Daryl, I've got to go in. Because you cannot go in there. When Dick persisted, another cop stepped forward. He bodily just grabbed me and moved me out. And I felt like just leaving. And for some reason, I just went over towards the I collapsed. After he recovered, Dick was led inside. He walked to the Johnny Carson building and saw Ripley, the chimp from Seinfeld, who'd survived by running back inside his enclosure when the shots rang out. I'm reading Ripley as I'm walking. And it had been four years since I'd worked with chimps, yet it kicked in. And I'm reading Ripley. And all at once, he turns his back and submits because of a gesture I had made that nobody else saw. He turns his back and submits to me. A couple people there said, well, he's never done that to strangers before. Well, he didn't do it to strangers because he, the strangers don't know how to communicate with him. And they took me to Reuben so I could say goodbye. I wondered why I wasn't called. They laid Reuben's body on a tarp in the back of a small utility vehicle. He was a crumpled mess. The most famous chimp in Nebraska, Reuben was 22 years old, roughly 120 pounds, the adopted son of a man named Dick Haskin. He liked Pepsi and cartoons. Reuben was shot trying to get into his cage. In Dick's view, Reuben had been trying to return to safety when Junior, the zookeeper, shot him in the back. And he so, was crawling back up the Carson Center, the yeah, outside he was, cage? he was crawling up trying to get back in his cage when he was shot. The next day, Dick went to see Junior. Junior Schluter was there in the office. I asked him, why wasn't I called? He said, there was no time. And I said, I could have got those chimps in. And Junior stood up. He said, you could not have got those chimps in. There is no way you could have got those chimps in. I said, Junior, you have never seen me work with chimps. I could have got those chimps in. Dick had seen the dash cam video from Brian's patrol car. When Junior came flying out of the trees in the golf cart, shooting, he'd said the chimps were chasing him. But chimps can run nearly 25 miles an hour. They're chasing me. They're chasing me. No, Junior, they're not chasing you. They're following you. If they were chasing you, they would have been on you and killed you because they can go faster than that golf cart can. They were following the golf, the golf cart brought them food. When seven chimpanzees escaped from the Kansas City Zoo a couple of years ago, 
they were lured back into their enclosure with malted milk balls. He had things going his way. The facial expressions, the postures of those chimps at that time, they weren't aggressive, they were following him. He couldn't read them. The zoo closed shortly after, in a tangle of lawsuits, 20 years after Dick brought Reuben to Royal in the back of his pickup. Today, Dick lives alone in a drafty old farmhouse six miles north of Royal. I know I can never go back and work with chimps or work with orangutans. That dream's gone. I don't even watch shows that depict chimps or zoos or anything like that anymore. Although I did start watching some orangutan videos on YouTube recently. He keeps a painting that Reuben made on his wall, one of the few reminders of his zoo days. A green-black blob with a tiny hint of yellow and red, Reuben's heavy hand visible in the wide brush strokes. Here's my kid. A large piece of me died. It changed me. How so? I, I simply exist not living. Maybe I lost the will. But a large piece of me died. Now I've tried to redefine who I am, what I am, the past. It's gone, that person needs to die, and the zoo died, and it needs to stay dead. We want to thank everyone who helped us put that story together. We appreciate it. The original score was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by John Facile and Carson Vaughn. It was based on Carson Vaughn's book of the same name, Zoo, Nebraska. I highly, I highly recommend you read his account for yourself. And it's hard to take, I know. Given what happened, it is hard to take. But there is some light at the end of this tunnel. After the zoo closed, Ripley, the surviving chimpanzee and former Seinfeld cast member, was sent to the Center for Great Apes. It's a sanctuary for chimpanzees and orangutans in Wachula, Florida. We have 54 great apes here right now, 23 orangutans, and 31 chimpanzees. I called Patty Reagan, the director of the center, one of Ripley's closest human associates. Right now, there's about eight chimpanzee sanctuaries in North America. We're one of them, but we're the only sanctuary in North and South America that has orangutans. Right on. Well, we just heard here on SNAP a story of four chimpanzees. Three of them who met a really horrible fate. But there was a fourth. His name is Ripley. And Ripley is with you in your sanctuary. Is that right? Yes. He's in our care now. And he's been here since, um, gosh, I think 2009 is when he came here. Well, can you tell me about his life today? Today, his life, he's in a group of seven chimpanzees. They are all former entertainment chimpanzees like Ripley. And then his best friend is a big male who's older than him, and that is Bubbles. It was Michael Jackson's pet. Ripley hangs out with Michael Jackson's former chimpanzee? Yes. Bubbles wore designer clothes, flew first class, and made appearances on TV talk shows. You like heavy metal music? 
<laughs> Bubbles is a 37-year-old adult male chimp and a beautiful boy. He's probably the more dominant of the group because of his size, but Ripley is like his right-hand man. There's a lot of females in that group, and they have squabbles. And Ripley runs around calming everybody down. What's a day in the life like? <laughs> well, I have to say they're adult males, and there's lots of resting and kind of laying around in the sun. They groom each other. The females groom them. When they get up in the morning, we have three big meals a day that all the apes here are offered of fruits and vegetables and a biscuit called a, um, a primate biscuit. Let me ask you this, Patty. Yeah. Have you ever tasted the primate biscuit? Um, personally, I haven't, but my staff have all done it. <laughs> and some are banana flavored, some are orange flavored, some are cinnamon. <laughs> so there's different, um, flavored, the there's different flavored biscuits. Oh, sure. And there's Patty, some, like the Patty, chimpanzees. Patty, why have you not tasted the biscuit? I'm a picky eater. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Bubbles. I remember seeing Bubbles and wondering why Michael Jackson had a chimp. Well, yes. What what you saw, and it's still on the internet now, are photographs of Michael holding a baby chimp with a pink face, pink ears, little cute round face. Bubbles is huge. As I said, he's over 180 pounds. And, you know, he's a big adult male now. Baby chimps, while they're adorable, get to be juveniles and then adolescents and then adults. Right. They have all the same sentient qualities that we have. They just have much greater strength. So when a chimp is very angry or jealous, you know, it's something really to deal with. You would not be able to handle those chimps yourself. Mm. So that's when they get relegated to people's basements and tiny cages, to garages for 40 years. We rescued a chimpanzee from a garage a wild-caught chimp who was captured in Africa over 50 years ago. And the only way they've ever captured great apes is to kill at least the mother and probably other adults because the troop would never let people go in and take a baby. So when those babies were sold, this couple bought this baby. He went to Ohio, and they loved him as their son and raised him in their house for a few years, ended up in the garage in a very tiny cage And he was 45 when they called me and asked me to take him. Oh, my God. He was probably in the worst condition of any great ape that we've ever had here. Atrophied, bed sores everywhere. He could hardly stand. And I looked at this boy, and he'd not been in the sun for over 40 years, and thought, you know, he may be with us only a few months. So we prepared a nest for him indoors every night and outside every day. And he would climb up the stairs and lie down on that shelf in the sun and sleep. And I thought, well, at least he's before he passes, he's sleeping in the sun. And Well, he gained weight. He got rid of the bed sores. He started being more active. We introduced him to the very first chimp he had ever seen since his mother was killed and he was taken as an infant. And it was another elderly female. And at first he was like, what is this thing? And I'm terrified. They became the dearest couple. They would play chase together, very slow, two elderly chimps kind of patting around their habitat, tickling. And he passed when he was just about 50. So we had him here five years in the sunlight, living with a female. That's what we do is really try to give them the best life we can with things that they need to be healthy. Patty, I remember seeing a chimpanzee when I was little at the Detroit Zoo. And I remember getting that connection, that buzz. It's like... That's another version of us. I remember feeling that as a little kid. 
I guess my question is, like my question for you is, Patty, is it worth that? Is it worth locking a ape in a cage so that a kid can have a feeling of connection? So I would rather them all be in the wild, but the fact is that they're not. So you have to look at each individual situation. These great apes that have been raised by humans as pets or entertainers or research subjects will never be able to be returned to the wild. They don't have the skills to live in the wild, to interact with their wild counterparts. Here in a sanctuary, captivity is the next best answer. According to Project Chimp Care, there are over 1,400 captive chimps in the United States. About half of them are in sanctuaries. To learn more about Patty's work at the Center for Great Apes, visit centerforgreatapes.org. It happened again. I know. If you missed even a moment, click the amazing Snap Judgment podcast wherever you get your podcast. Get this one. And if you cherish Snap Judgment storytelling, let out a roar. Tell the world. Tell the animal kingdom. Follow us on Instagram at Snap Judgment Radio to see what's inside our box of tricks. And if you didn't hear, we have limited edition Snap stickers and mugs available right now on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Snap Judgment. That's patreon.com slash Snap Judgment. If you love Snap stories, it's time to wear your heart on your sleeve and drink up. And we thought you should know, this year, Halloween comes early. Season 4 of Spook drops right now on Luminary.com. Amazing stories from the dark side. Be afraid. Snap is brought to you by the team that loves all animals. We love the universe of life in its glorious splendor. All of us love it, except, of course, for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. And a suspect, Renzo Gorio, Pat Miller, John Facile. Shayna Sheely, Liz Mack, Marissa Dodge, Nika Singh, Eliza Smith, Lauren Newsom, Taylor Ducat, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Leon Morimoto. Well, this is not the news. You know this is not the news. No way. In fact, you could take everybody that has a chimp locked in one of those tiny little cages and put that person in the cage instead. And, you know, actually, that would probably just be a really good idea. But you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is but this is PRX 